Romans chapter 6. Verses 1 through 11. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too may walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For death, for the death he died, he died to sin. Once for all, for the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin, and alive to God in Christ Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for uh, the living word of God, which is inspired, it is infallible, it is inerrant, and therefore will never lead us astray. Lord, we thank you that this morning this text is going to be speaking into our lives. So Lord, would you open our ears already? Give us hearts ready to receive. And Lord, would you empower me to speak with clarity by your Spirit. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. One of the privileges that I had early on in ministry was being a youth pastor. And being a youth pastor is a whole different gig than leading a church. Often in youth ministry, you work with kids whose hearts are a little callous, who have tried a little of this and a little of that, and some a little bit more and a little bit more and a little bit more of this and that. And, uh, but there also there's a certain pliableness, a certain uh, desire to learn and to grow and to hear and to be shaped and to be molded. There's a... a it's, something in them that is aspiring to some, something. They're looking already to college because they want to grow up and to, to be something. But there's also something deep in their heart that is yearning for something. Everything in culture is telling them that they are to be this and they're to be that, to look like this, to dress like this, to be in this kind of sporting or to be in this kind of activity, to go to this kind of school. But inside them, they're bucking against that saying, there's more to life. Frequently on Sunday nights for uh, high school ministry, we would be sharing the gospel. And during opportunities of prayer, kids would respond to the gospel. There was one such time when we were at a uh, 
a youth retreat. And it was at Cedar Lake. And it was the world's most boring uh, speaker that night. But for some reason, the Spirit of God was heavy in that room, and a number of kids responded powerfully to the gospel. And I remember hearing their explanation about it, and just say, there was one kid who just couldn't quite explain it, but it was like this, his hands were going like this, and then he, and they, like this. And what was happening? He was explaining a moment where his life was impacted by the gospel. Blaise Pascal, a famous French mathematician, had the same kind of experience. For 31 years of his life, he ran from God, ran hard from God. But his moment came on November 23 in 1654. It was so dramatic that Pascal wrote down the exact time and created a written record of his thoughts, which he sewed inside of a jacket. Apparently, he never wanted to forget. And this is what it said. Year of Grace. 1564, November 23, November. Monday, 23, November. Feast of Clement. From about half past 10 at night to a half an hour after midnight. Fire. God of Abraham, God of Isaac, God of Jacob. Not of philosophers and scholars. Certitude, heartfelt, joy, peace. God of Jesus Christ, God of Jesus Christ, my God and your God, joy, 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 tears of joy, Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ. Do you know what would lead Pascal to sew that document inside of his coat? It was the fact that he was experiencing this moment when the resurrected Christ became personal. I saw this morning a friend of mine, Leon Brown, who lives out east, pastoring a church called uh, Crown and Joy Presbyterian Church. He said, I wish that people would celebrate the same way the rest of the other weeks as they do on this day. Because it is real every day. It is personal every day. So what was Blaise Pascal and my, my, my junior high friend talking about? It's what the Apostle Paul talks about in Romans 6, 9 through 11. Here's what he says. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once and for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to Christ Jesus. This passage just gives a beautiful and powerful summary of the power of the resurrection and how it can connect to each and every one of us personally. And this text helps us understand why Resurrection Sunday, Easter Sunday, is such a huge celebration for Christians. In fact, it brings out of the woodwork Christers, right? Christmas and Easter. People who never wear pastel wear it on this day. And they show up in droves. Why is this such a big deal? Because this text explains something that is life-changing. Easter celebrates the power of life change. 
So I'm going to use Romans chapter 6 as a guide to understand why this morning is so important. I want to show you three spiritual realities which relate to why Paul would write Romans chapter 6 and how that connects to the moment, to the moment we are talking about this morning. First of all, we need to start off with the reason why Paul wrote Romans, Romans 6 in the first place. We've got to understand why, what was the crux, his reason, the problem, the issue that was at heart here. Why did he write Romans chapter 6? And we find that, the clue, in, in verses 1 and 2, right? Where he asks a rhetorical question. What shall we say then? He's not looking for an answer right now. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How, how can we who died to sin sin still live in it. You see, Paul was addressing this, this problem of sin and the charge that his teaching of freedom and life in Christ could lead to this crazy, excessive lifestyle where Christians who have, will have no longer any regard to their lifestyle. Why? I've been saved so I can live freely because I know Christ is going to forgive me again. And Paul says, by no means. That's not why we do this. Romans chapter 6 is written to address this issue. There's something embedded in that question in verse, in verse 1 of chapter 6. It's the problem of sin. It's the problem of sin. You see, Paul would never address this issue unless there was something fundamentally wrong with our world fundamentally wrong. And the Bible tells us that the ultimate problem, the ultimate problem in the world is humanity's rebellion against a holy and an awesome God. In other words, the presence of sin in this world, the presence of sin in this world is why the world is broken. It's why we do things that are wrong. It's the reason, even the reason that we celebrate Easter. The Bible is very, very clear about the problem of sin and the consequences of sin. It tells us the following. Romans chapter 5. Sin entered the world through the disobedience of Adam. So it goes all the way back to our first father. In Romans 6, death was, was introduced as a consequence to sin. Romans chapter 3, every single person was guilty because we have all sinned and all fallen short of the glory of God. All of us. Romans chapter 7, God's law shows us our sin more clearly. It's a mirror that we look into and we see ourselves broken. And then Romans chapter 2, the presence of sin in the world demands God's justice and judgment. I'm sure you all have felt and understand that we live in a broken world. While there's great beauty and incredible joys in the world that we live in, there's still the constant reminders, constant reminders that something is not right. Here are a few examples. Nathan, snow in March is a result of the fall. Personal conflict, marriages falling apart, promises broken, tragic accidents happening. We hurt one another, and the ultimate expression, 
people die. I think we can all agree that the greatest statement that something is wrong in the world is death. The Bible tells us that death is our absolute enemy. And as hard as we try to make a, tomorrow's going to be difficult, but as hard as we try to make a funeral upbeat or hopeful, there's just something wrong and frankly scary about death, isn't it? We can't erase that. And the ultimate statement, that is the ultimate statement, that our world is broken. And it's a problem. A problem that we cannot solve. But the second reality helps us understand why Easter is such a significant day on our Christian calendar. The problem of sin and what is wrong with the world is solved ultimately by the work of Jesus Christ. And the cultivating, ultimate, cultivating, 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 culminating event of his earthly ministry is the resurrection. His coming again alive and in power. The, the event we celebrate this weekend is a powerful statement about Jesus' ability to change what is wrong in this world. He can change it or to make it more personal. It's a statement of Jesus' ability to change what is broken in us. This brokenness, which has caused our sin, is solved by a spiritual union or relationship with Christ. Union with Christ. And the message of the Bible is that Jesus as Son of God, came to the earth. Think Christmas. That's why Christmas is such a big deal. He came. And then he lived a sinless life. He obeyed the law perfectly. And therefore, he didn't deserve any kind of punishment, especially the criminal's death on a cross. And yet Jesus went willingly, and he suffered willingly on the cross in order to provide a sacrifice that could be applied to sinful human beings like you and me. And in other words, Jesus took your place. He took my place. And here's how Paul described it in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. For our sake he made him who knew no sin to be sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. He that knew no sin became sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. Do you see that beautiful transfer? Becoming a Christian means that a person comes to a point in his or her life where he or she just realizes totally what Jesus Christ has done for them. It's not just a mental kind of thing. Oh, I get it. It's, it's, I understand, I believe, and by faith, I believe in Jesus Christ, and I receive Jesus Christ as my Lord and my Savior, the one who rules and manages and controls my life. My life is in your hands, Lord. I have a new allegiance. I will follow you where you say, go, I will go. What you say to do, I will do. No matter if it's difficult or easy, Lord, I will follow you because you are the Lord and Savior of my life. Another passage in John chapter 1, 12 captures this reality beautifully. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. 
I believe. I believe. And Easter relates to all this in that Jesus' death was a sacrifice, and that's beautiful. But his resurrection proved that he had conquered death. The empty tomb declared that sin had been defeated because death is no longer ultimate. 1 Corinthians 15, and we sung about this. Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? It's like taunting, right? Seriously? Where's your victory anymore? Christ is risen. Where's your sting? It, it, it doesn't hurt the same way because you know what? He's risen. The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. He gives us victory. He gives us life. So Jesus' death provided the payment for our sin, but the resurrection, the resurrection of Christ proved that death has been defeated. So those who put their faith into Jesus enter into this beautiful spiritual union with Christ as they share in what Jesus did. We share in the work of Christ. Romans 6 makes this, this very important and life-changing statement. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, if we've been united in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. There's hope. This spiritual union is absolutely amazing, and I think that we forget about it. It means that God spiritually unites us to Christ. We're united to Christ in that he considers Jesus' sacrifice as our sacrifice. God applied the work of Jesus to the account of those who put faith in him. He, he's applied it to our account from a spiritual and a legal standpoint. Get this. God declares us to be his children. And he welcomes us into a new relationship with him. And in that moment, everything changes. We're still human. We still live in this world. It's still a broken world, and we're waiting. Even creation is groaning for all things to be made new and to be right. We're waiting for that new heaven and that new earth, and we, we cannot wait. We're longing for that. So we're still here, but the moment changes everything. You might think it's like what happens at a wedding. <laughs> Laura and I went to a wedding, and it was a crazy wedding. We'll tell you stories about that later, but let me tell you, when a bride and groom pledge their vows to each other, there is something really powerful and life-changing about that moment. Last night, Ben and Joy, uh, Joy Hoffman and Ben Camp were united in marriage, and Ben was just giddy. I can't believe it! I can't, I'm finally married to her. And, and the reality, they've been dating for some time, but the reality that they are now husband and wife, they were just both, they couldn't believe it. It changes, every, they've been dating for how long? But this moment, these vows united them in ways that dating could never do. It was real. Something had changed. 
Something had changed. The bride and groom are still the same people, but a new union was created which fundamentally changes everything about them. God instituted marriage between a man and a woman to be a picture of the spiritual union between Christ and his church. The bride and groom leave the ceremony as the same people, but everything has changed. They are spiritually united together. And when it comes to your relationship with your creator, it is the same thing. Putting your faith into Christ unites you to Jesus. And while you are still the same person, everything about you is fundamentally different. So Easter is connected to all this because this day celebrates Christ's victory over death which makes our union with him possible. We're now united. We, we, we celebrate a resurrection day, but the reason for this celebration is because of what it means for us personally. This day is not just a date on a Christian calendar. It is a triumphal celebration of our spiritual union with Christ. That's why we celebrate, why we can sing with gusto, why we can mourn as those who have hope, because he has transformed and changed. And we know that there is a future. There is hope where all things are going to be made new. He has connected us to Christ. So we are safe and we are secure. No matter what waves are coming our way, we are safe in the bosom of Christ. And God says, nothing, nothing will separate you from the love of Christ. You are mine. Hold tight to me. So our world is absolutely broken. And God's remedy is a spiritual union with Jesus Christ. But the third and final reality is found throughout the remaining passages of Romans chapter 6. Joyful freedom. Easter is a day of great joy because it is a day all about freedom. You see, the death of Jesus did not just create a theoretical or spiritual union. The moment a person receives Christ, they are fundamentally changed, and the effects are sweeping, and ultimately they are life-altering. It changes absolutely everything. So we sing today not, because of, not only because of what Jesus did, but also because what it means for our lives practically today. It's not just a past thing. It is a present thing of how it changes, how we live in this moment. In other words, Jesus defeated death in the future, and he also gives us victory now. It's not just, man, I can't wait till I die because everything's going to be perfect then. No, he gives you victory today. He gives you hope today. He gives you a future today. That's, that's a beautiful thing. And this is the great hope of the Christian faith. Sure, he gives people certainty and a hope when they're facing their own death or the death of another person that they love. Absolutely. But it also gives a person power over our sin today, over our personal brokenness now, our personal pain now. We don't have to wait until Jesus comes back and brings us to glory. It happens now. 
But because of our newfound, our newfound relationship with Christ, we have a power, a power to follow after God. We have the power to defeat temptation. There's a power to have new desires, new longings that are holy and true, and to experience new freedom in Christ. And it is an absolute foretaste of what is to come in heaven. That power available to us today is just like, oh, it's a, it's a taste of what is going to be so much more in heaven. This is just a, a little tiny taste of what that heavenly union is going to be like where sin and death and everything is completely removed from the, the equation. The beauty of Christianity and the, the amazing thing that we can celebrate today is that those who received Christ, those who are united with Christ, are able to experience today the transforming power of God now. Let me show you that from Romans 6. Romans 6, verse 6. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to, what does it say, anybody? Nothing. nothing. The body of sin can be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. Do you see the connection between being united with Christ and freedom? Those who have received Christ no longer have to be enslaved to sin. Oh, there's still sin. You and I all know that. Those closest to you go, yeah, there's sin in his or her life. But we're no longer enslaved to it. And that's the beauty of the gospel. That's the power of the resurrection. There is power of the, in that moment when a person receives Christ. And you are not going to be perfect, but you have new power for God to fix what is broken in you. And here's another amazing statement from Romans 6-7. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Period. There's no ifs, no ands, no buts about it. You have been set free from sin. Again, personal union with Christ equals new freedom. So what's your moment? Can you, even, even if you don't have that life-altering explosion where you recognize Christ entering into your life, but you are a believer in Christ and you believe in your heart, you confess with your mouth, this happens on a daily basis. It's not a one and done. It is a daily ongoing thing where we say, man, I am united with Christ. And in there, there is newfound freedom every morning. His mercies are new, how often? Every morning. And that's the beauty of the gospel. It's new, it's fresh, it's, it's enjoyable again today. It's fresh again today. It's available for me today. Can you testify to God's work in your life today? His resurrected power working in you. His union in you and with you and for you in such a way that it gives you new freedom and not just freedom, joyful 
freedom. The next three verses summarize what we've been talking about this morning in terms of the death and life of Christ. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with Him. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. He is done. Death no longer has dominion over Him. For the death He died, He died to sin once for all. But the life He lives, He lives to God. And verse, it's verse 11 that is absolutely incredible, though. It connects this day to the lives of those who have placed their faith in Jesus Christ. Verse 11 says, So you, must, you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. The word consider means to, to keep a, a record in a legal or financial sense. And the, the implication is this, is that those who are followers in Christ must live in the light of this spiritual reality because you are in Christ. Consider yourself dead. I'm, I'm dead to sin. I'm dead to my wants. I'm dead to my desires. I'm dead to whatever the world tells me about me or what I should be doing. I'm dead to that. I'm considering myself dead, but I'm alive in Christ. And there's power in life in Christ. If he conquered Satan, sin, and death, huh, can I just tap into that for my struggles of lust? my struggles of pride, my struggles of you fill in your own blank. Christians are to live in light of these realities. God has forgiven all of their sins, and God has declared you righteous. Thank God, because I cannot stand before God on my own. God has given you me a new heart with new desires and new affections and new passions. Thank God, because I always want to slip back into the old life, right? But God, when I rely on him and cling to him in his bosom and just say, Lord, I'm clinging to you, he says, I'm giving you new affections. I'm giving you a new heart. I'm giving you a new passion. Hold on. Now, because of our union with Christ and this newfound freedom, the Holy Spirit resides within us. We are the temple. He dwells within us. Wherever we go, He goes with us. And temptations and our struggles are now able to be defeated in ways not possible before us, before, because He is with us. You say, I can't do this. You're right, you can't. But now that he is living within you and empowering you, all things are possible. All things are possible. And he has given us a new desire for obedience. And this is what it means to consider yourself dead to sin and alive with God, alive to God. It means that in that moment when you receive Christ, everything changes everything. It means the brokenness in you is finally fixed. It means that you are brought back to God. It means that you have power in your life like you've never, ever had before. Again, you're not perfect. You never will be. 
But the moment of receiving Christ absolutely changes the trajectory of your life. And it changes your ability to live in this world. That is why I'm asking about your moment. The reason this day is so important and the reason why this church exists is to point you constantly to Jesus Christ. We're not here to point you to me. We have no fancy programs. We don't even have a big church. We have a parking lot that can barely hold all the cars sometimes. There's nothing glossy or nothing fancy about us. We exist for none of those things. We exist to point you to Jesus. He is the only one who can fix the brokenness in our lives and in the world. Receiving Christ, entering into a spiritual union with him, changes everything. And with that fundamental change comes a freedom that fills your heart with joy. Easter is a day of great celebration. It is. And frankly, I long for every person to understand and to embrace the liberating truths of this day. One of the things that we should probably change is instead of peace of Christ be with you, and also with you, which is a great, great thing, right? One of the things maybe we should change is kind of the secret handshake of saying, Christ is risen, but we should do it with gusto, right? Because if it is true, and it is the most important thing, not only that he died for our sins, but it applies to us, and it changes everything, we should say, Christ is risen. risen And we have excitement about it because it changes everything. It changes your marriage. It changes your outlook. It changes how you grieve. It changes your finance. It changes how you look at your neighbors, your lost friends, your lost family. And you say, he's risen. He's risen indeed. There's hope for today. There's hope for tomorrow. He strengthens me. He empowers me. I can struggle with this sin. I struggle with this sin. I struggle with it. But you know what? Satan, Jesus died. He conquered Satan, sin and death. Your empire has fallen. You have no dominion over me. Christ is risen indeed. So in the midst of all my struggles, there is hope. In the midst of my pain, there is hope. In the midst of my flush struggles and desire to live as the world tells me or as my heart tells me, there is hope to live otherwise. I've seen it personally. I've seen it in my own life working out. I've seen it pastorally, the effects of a personal relationship with Jesus. I've seen and I can testify to the effects of the moment. My greatest desire is that for you, and for others that we come in contact with, that they and we are able to say that today was my moment. Amen? Amen. Let's pray.